there, and welcome to another episode of Shouting in the Evening, brought to you by the Scheidt International Theatre Company. Please make yourselves comfortable. The performance is about to begin. was a man you could trust. He was salesman of the month. He was team leader in his division and he was well and truly lost. Now Doug could sell ice to an Eskimo but his sense of direction was non-existent. He blamed the scenery. Most days he spent his time driving around city streets and parking next to warehouses but today he'd driven through countryside made of nothing but sweeping vistas. At least, he thought they were sweeping vistas, but since he'd only ever read the term in a travel book, he couldn't be completely sure. They were certainly big stretches of grass, flowers and streams, topped by the most amount of sky Doug had ever seen in his life. He felt like a little mouse or gerbil, and someone had just taken the lid off the box he was living in. The sky was everywhere and made him feel a bit uneasy, but he couldn't deny it was beautiful. The mountains reminded him of something out of a Tolkien movie. When the mist rolled over the tops of them, he kept expecting to see a swarm of creatures wielding swords or a fire-breathing dragon. He also blamed lack of sleep. The overnight train had rocked him to sleep and judded him awake in equal measure, while the meeting had been productive but boring. He wanted nothing more than to hand over the hire car and get on the train for home. If he could only work out where the hell he was. Doug was old-fashioned and preferred to use maps rather than a sat-nav, so he decided to save some money and follow the written directions he'd got from the internet. As he drove past what looked like the same patch of trees for the third time, he cursed that decision. How could he lose a whole railway station? He'd caught glimpses of the track as he drove and had seen a rail bridge disappearing into the mist a while back, but now there was nothing. How did people cope up here without road signs? And why did it have to get dark so damn quick? Just as Doug was beginning to think he was going to miss his train and have to sleep in the car, he saw a flash out of the corner of his eye, and there it was. Driving up the rutted track, he realised it wasn't the station he'd arrived at this morning, but it would do. He could always email the hire company about the car, and even if he had to change trains at some point, at least he'd be on his way. As he locked the car and hid the keys under the wheel arch, Doug realised that the flash he'd seen was the moonlight reflecting off a broken window. Inside the station, a lot more windows were broken, and there were piles of dust and leaves everywhere. With little expectation, he crossed to the closed ticket office and pinged the bell a couple of times. No answer. The word that came to mind was abandoned, 
and it sent a chill down his spine. If this were a scary movie, he'd be walking into obvious danger and the whole movie theatre would be shouting at him to get the hell out. Laughing at his overactive imagination, Doug went out onto the platform. Looking both ways, he could see nothing but empty track and the ever-present mist. Just as he was about to turn and go back to the car, he heard a noise. Faint at first and hard to pinpoint, he thought it sounded like an old train whistle. Shaking his head, he decided he'd either fallen asleep in the car, and this was all a dream, or he'd finally lost his marbles and gone crazy. Slowly, he became aware of a rumbling beneath his feet. The air felt tight and sharp, as if an electrical storm was coming, and the hairs on the back of his neck tingled. As he turned his head to look up the track, there was a gust of wind so powerful that it made him squeeze his eyes shut and stagger back a few steps. He didn't see the train come into the station. It was just there when he opened his eyes. This train was a thing of beauty, with polished metal and immaculate paintwork. Each tiny window had a set of curtains, and the engine sighed and puffed smoke as if it were alive. This was the train of Doug's childhood, the one he'd seen in countless black-and-white movies. There should be soldiers on the platform saying goodbye to their sweethearts, or women draped in fox furs being followed by trolleys full of elegant trunks and hat boxes. This was the kind of train that Agatha Christie killed people on, that wizards rode on to get to school and young girls waved their big red knickers at. Doug couldn't help smiling to himself as he reached out for the door handle, but with a hiss he drew back his hand. It was freezing cold. Using his elbow, he managed to get it open and climbed inside. As he closed the door behind him, the train's whistle blew, and although he could see that they were moving, the train was so smooth and steady, it was as if it were gliding on ice rather than on rails. Doug decided that this was a much more civilised way to travel. A whistle was preferable to the grating bing-bong and tannoy system he was used to, and it made a pleasant change to be able to walk in a straight line to your seat rather than stagger like a drunkard from side to side. The inside of the carriage was all real wood panels with little lamps here and there, and the seats themselves were smooth leather with padded armrests. The look was not unlike what Doug assumed a posh London men's club would be like, and he half expected to see men with big moustaches and bigger cigars drinking brandy or reading newspapers by a roaring fire. As he sat and looked out of the window, Doug saw his own reflection staring back at him, and that's when he realised what was missing. People. There were no people. He was alone in the carriage, just as he'd been alone on the platform. Doug imagined he could hear the audience in the movie theatre shouting at him again. Should he go and look for someone? 
What would he do if there was no one to find? Turning to get up, he saw, standing by the door, a conductor dressed in a black suit, white shirt, and a peaked cap with a little badge that said, Conductor. In the old movies, the train conductor was usually a fat, jolly chap with a smile for everyone. This conductor looked scared to death, and striding towards Doug, he shouted, You can't be here! You can't get off! Get out! Get off! Doug muttered, Yeah, yeah, here's my ticket. I got lost. And taking it from his wallet, he handed it to the man, but the rest of his sentence was cut off as the conductor grabbed him roughly by the lapels. With his face inches away, he hissed, It's not your time. Most of us have wondered how we'd react in certain situations. Would we show bravery in a time of crisis or kindness in the face of cruelty? Doug had always thought of himself as the kind of guy who can talk his way out of any situation. He'd met with anger and aggression before and always managed to use charm and persuasion to defuse the situation. In this case, his silver tongue failed him and he was literally speechless as the conductor dragged him towards the door. Doug wondered if he was being taken to the guard's van or wherever it was the conductor had his office for a stern talking to. It wasn't as if he was dodging the fare and he felt confident that once he got the chance to explain himself, this could all be laughed off. He changed his mind as they reached the door, and things took an unexpected turn. Instead of carrying on through the train, the conductor stopped and swung Doug round so that his back was against the door. Then he started to grope him. Doug was frozen in shock as the man grabbed at his bottom while holding him in place with an arm across his throat. Doug managed to shove the conductor to one side a little, but now, instead of an arm across his throat, there was a large, beefy hand around his neck. Lashing out, he could see that what he had thought was groping was actually the conductor trying to open the lock on the door. Doug had thought he was in a bad situation before, but now he realised this was a fight for his life. His back was still against the door, and if the lock opened, he'd fall backwards out of the train. In the movies, this always consisted of a rough and tumble down some grass, and very little actual injury, but he wasn't stupid enough to believe real life would be like that. In desperation, he stared into the conductor's eyes, but saw nothing there that he could reason with, only mad fear. As the door finally opened, Doug felt himself being sucked out by the force of the wind and grabbed on tight to the conductor's outstretched arm. Perhaps if he held on tight enough, the man would have to pull him back in. Surely he didn't intend for both of them to die. The roar of the wind and the clatter of the rails faded into the background and it was just Doug and the conductor alone in the eye of the storm. With a strange, sad smile, the conductor leant forward. It's not your time. You have to get off before the bridge. Doug glanced to the side and saw the rail bridge coming up fast. 
clutching tighter to the man's arm, Doug realised that he was going to die. It didn't matter what he did or how much he fought, he was leaving this train. He heard a croaky voice asking why over and over again, hardly recognising his own voice. The conductor waved his crumpled ticket in front of his face and shoved it roughly into Doug's top pocket. It's not your time. Get out. Get off. The conductor's fist arced around in slow motion towards Doug's face as his other hand released its hold on his neck. Doug closed his eyes and waited to die. Time seemed to make a jump forward, and the next thing he knew, he was sitting on the grass by the tracks watching the train go by. Apparently... Life could be just like the movies after all, and he was amazed to find himself very much alive. He looked up at the train as it thundered past, and every day for the rest of his life, he wished he hadn't. At every window, there were faces, young and old, male and female, every single one of them screaming in silent agony. Their eyes were wide with fear and their hands fluttered uselessly at the glass as they tried to claw their way out. It only lasted a few seconds, but those faces would haunt his dreams until the day he died. Getting to his feet, Doug could clearly see the rail bridge ahead and, as he watched, the train plunged through a hole in the middle of it and down into the river below. The awful sound of tearing metal filled the air like the scream of a dying beast. Propelled forward by some animal instinct, Doug raced towards the bridge, but as he did so, he felt the air tight and sharp again, and another strong gust of wind knocked him over. Lying on his back for a moment, Doug was aware of the silence all around him. He could hear the usual night sounds of bugs and birds going about their business, but that was all. Surely he should be able to hear people screaming or something. How could a train wreck not make a noise? Standing by the rail bridge, Doug could see why it was so quiet. He didn't understand, but he could see. The bridge was old and rusted. In the middle of the track was a set of large concrete barriers stretching from one side to the other. Bright yellow hazard signs were bolted to what was left of the bridge, and they all said in variations of the same thing, Stop. Bridge collapse. No entry. Weeds had grown to knee height around the signs, and past them the broken floor of the bridge reached to the sky in jagged fingers. His eyes could see all this, but his brain couldn't process the information. He felt cheated. There should be some kind of explanation. In the movies, the camera would zoom in on a memorial plaque detailing the date of the crash many years before and the number of souls lost that night. In a movie, Doug would have read it and fallen dramatically to his knees, 
before they cut to an end scene of him telling this ghost story as an old man and never being believed. Fade out, the end. In real life, Doug turned and limped back up the rails towards his hire car. He realised he'd lost a shoe at some point and his white sock glowed eerily in the moonlight. Perhaps it had all been a dream. Perhaps he'd had a seizure of some kind and wandered onto the line, only to fall over and come to his senses again. Perhaps... He'd almost managed to convince himself until, while searching for the car keys, he found the crumpled train ticket in his top pocket. Line, written and read by Ali Gallo. Thanks go to our esteemed technical wizard Ian for sound manipulation and button wrangling. Join us again next week for another Shouting in the Evening theatre production. Cheerio! Cheerio!